0: Welcome to this special edition of God's Glorious Grace. We're taking a break from our journey through Ephesians chapter one this week and instead have an interview with Terry Virgo. He's the founder of New Frontiers, the worldwide family of churches that our church, Hope Church Harrogate, is a part of. He's the author of the book God's Lavish Grace, which we've recommended in previous weeks and really a key life message that Terry is known for and has been invited to speak on around the world is this topic of grace. And so I want to invite you to sit back and enjoy the fireside conversation that Mark and I were able to have with Terry. Enjoy. We really appreciate your your time, Terry. Really, what we've set out to do is to explore grace uh, over a series of weeks exploring Ephesians chapter one, going through a phrase at a time, and I guess sort of stealing the RSPCA line about a dog is for life, not just for Christmas, but changing it to be graces for life, not just for salvation, because we kind of have this understanding of we're saved by grace and there's forgiveness and all of that comes into our lives because of the grace of God. But often we miss the the sheer scope of what grace does beyond salvation in terms of enjoying now a relationship with God and the ability to uh, influence the the world around us because of the grace that's present in our lives and uh, we've had a lot of fun Mark and myself and Rachel who sadly can't be with us today she's been called into a work meeting we we get together and having these conversations really just learning in community I guess uh, about grace which is We're all three of us coming from the different points that we come from. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. And we were really keen to get some other voices into the mix, people who have uh, taught us about grace. Uh, And obviously, for yourself, that's been a massive uh, message in your life, has been the the power of God's grace Um, was a defining moment for you discovering it. And so really just looking for a conversation today around your experience of grace, your observations of, of how people have understood it of what there is that we're still growing into in terms of our understanding of grace and um, I know that the various times I've heard you speak on it in Leeds on the God's glorious grace tour I heard you speak to a room of 200 youth at Devoted a few years ago I was leading the venue and for an hour you held 200 kids sitting on the floor their full attention as you talked through Romans 5, 6, 7, 8 and the grace of God and um, I think every time it's, it just hits me so deeply, it's such a, a profound and real truth for you and, and you've lived in the fullness of it and been able to impart it to others. Uh, but I guess many of the people listening might not know some of your story. So maybe the best place to start would be sort of how you first came to encounter what we now understand as the grace of God, the, the setting that that happened in and how that happened for you. Would you like to tell us a bit of that story?
1: Sure. Okay. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Uh, I enjoyed the opportunity. Thanks. Uh, for me, it, it, I guess it took a little while to see it. I know when I began to see it, I almost felt like uh, this really came to me. It's like I saw the, a cloud open and saw blue sky. Mm-hmm. And I thought, did I see something? And it was like the cloud closed again. And I really felt God whispered into my heart don't worry, I'm going to persuade you of the truth of this. And uh, it was an extraordinary experience. And uh, it came to me, I guess, in a number of ways. Uh, I think that, first of all, I, I met a guy called David Mansell, who uh, I heard preach about the love of God. But was this kind of grace emphasis and his very lifestyle was soaked in grace, in himself. So he was clearly a God lover and clearly very zealous for God. But his style was very different to anybody I'd met before. He was so at home with God, so relaxed, so secure. And I think for myself, uh, I, when I first got saved, uh, I was very backslidden from the beginning. I was a very worldly person. My my parents were not Christians. I had no previous exposure to Christianity. I had no idea how you're meant to live. And uh I, I received... Christ. Um, my my sister just had been saved elsewhere, came and led me to Christ one night at home. And uh, I started going to church from that uh, that time on. I was in church kind of every Sunday morning, but that's the only thing that changed in my life. So for four years, I lived a very ungodly life, um, but was in church on a Sunday. And then one Sunday, I had an encounter with God where I got real conviction and the fear of God. And uh, I, I felt God said, I want your life and I want it now. Mm-hmm. I won't speak to you about this again. Wow. And it frightened me because I knew he'd already spoken to me a number of times. I'd had times of fairly major conviction, but I'd kind of pressed on with the old lifestyle and uh, I knew this is it. And so I, I, in real fear of God, I, I remember I got on my knees and, and I gave up a whole load of lifestyle. I gave up all my friends because all my friends were non Christian, and uh, that's the ones I spent my time with. I lost all my friends, and uh, and I tried, I gave up stuff. I, I used to drink a lot, I stopped drinking, I, I stopped all sorts of stuff. And uh, uh, I, I thought, I'm going to try and live this life. And I think I became zealous. With a kind of legalistic tinge mm. and uh, also with a kind of rule keeping thing, which I think Satan uses to keep you captive somewhat. Although you're, I know I'd stepped out of worldliness, if you like, but I stepped into uh, a kind of a bondage. Although I, I you know, I, I, I got filled with the spirit, which was a very happy thing. I left my secular job. I actually lived by faith. Uh, then I went to Bible college, and I'm a pastor. You know, I've been I'm down the road quite a while.
0: Yeah. But
1: there was still that. You know, when you got up off your knees, it's that question. So why didn't you pray longer? And uh, when I read my Bible, it's like so. So what did you get out of that? And it's always that kind of note of condemnation was hanging hanging there all the time, like have I done enough to please God? Mm -hmm. I think that was very much, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to live for Jesus. I've I've really made a big decision to turn away from stuff. But is God happy with me? That was the question. I don't know I would have said it to many people or anybody, to be honest, but inwardly I felt it quite strongly. And so when I began to see the grace of God, I thought, this is amazing. It's like he loves me anyway. It's like uh, you really see justification in a way that was completely releasing. I am righteous as a gift. And then I began to preach it. And actually, I think theologically, which for me was an important thing, uh, in reading Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his Roman series, and I would say particularly... His chapter on set, Romans chapter seven, I I saw it theologically. I am not under law. I've died to the law. And and you know, I, I, I found God gave me a way of preaching it, a kind of a way into that scripture. But I preached it a lot. And the more I preached it, the more secure I was in it. Mm-hmm. And I began to see lots of people who wrote me letters and stuff saying, my life has changed. And I, it became very much part of what I had to say. And it affected me profoundly. So, I, I mean, I still wanted to be a man of prayer, but I, I, had, I had been a man of prayer, but through the influence of people like Leonard Ravenhill and Arthur Wallace and these great guys about prayer, but this kind of, are you doing enough? Are you doing enough? And uh, I stepped out of that happily. I've retained prayer, but with joy and with freedom and with delight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to really believe God delights in you, it's is life-changing. I felt like i have been born again again. Mm. And uh, I, it was just so delightful to, um, to step out of all that heaviness. And I think, as I say, I think a lot of people would have said, heaviness, you didn't seem like that. But it was in my heart mm. I, I was struggling. And then and then, when I stepped into this freedom and preached this freedom, I think one other thing, and you must interrupt me by, <laughs> by all means, but um, another thing was that the, the kind of message of grace was beginning to be talked about by a number of people. And I think that the contribution that I, I felt God gave me to make was to build it from the Bible, whereas a number of people were beginning to just talk about the spin-offs. Oh, you don't have to do that then. You don't have to do that. And uh, and and I met I knew some guys I met at that time who were saying, oh you prayer meetings, that's legalism. And uh, you know, um, Christians in the Bible, they didn't carry a they didn't carry a big black Bible under their arms. They just lived from the Spirit. And so I found quite early on when I began to understand grace and rub shoulders with people who talked about grace, their application, I felt, wasn't very rooted in scripture. They were much more just kind of anti religion and kind of slight rebel uh, just being a rebel and trying to show oh, we can do this. If you know we're free, we can do it. And I, I feel I felt I'm so grateful. I felt God showed me, you no, know, this is a biblical, bring it biblically, and you'll help people to see it rounded. It. Now, there are applications, uh, there's a freedom. I know for myself uh, when I when I gave myself over to God, having been uh, quite a drinker, I was quite often drunk as a Christian, as a disgusting Christian, and I and I I stopped drinking completely, and I I uh, I wouldn't even toast the bride, you know, at the wedding, um, and I got a, a a driving license, which was you know non-drinker. I, I made a span. And then, as time went by, I, I, looking in the Bible, I think, "Hey, wait a minute! You know, that doesn't seem to be what it says in the Bible." And uh, I had to uh, back up and, and review again and say, "No, wait a minute! You're if you're not careful, you're going to uh, uh, get you know." I was getting it, so I, I needed to to step into it. No, I, said so I can I can I can have a drink, but I but the Bible says, "Don't get drunk." <laughs> Yeah. So that that still applies. Don't get drunk, but I can walk in a kind of freedom that I never had before. So obviously, drunkenness is out of the question. Uh, but to, to have a drink isn't. And I, I even gave up all my jazz records. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to do. I, I was a real jazz fan, and uh, when I when I got this time where I would gave myself to God, uh, I gave away my jazz records and. Uh, you know, it was a terrible thing to do because <laughs> I love jazz, but it was like part of my old world, and I wanted to be so ruthless. So my application was quite legalistic. And uh, uh, when, when Andy, Wendy and I got engaged, uh, we met at Bible College. I, I said, "We won't, we won't need a, uh, an engagement ring. I mean, that's kind of worldly." And so I. I and she said, oh, really? <laughs> but uh, so my application was pretty narrow. And uh, and so grace, I mean, just amazing, just set me free from a lot of tightness in my Christian walk. Sorry, that's gone on rather a lot.
2: That's, it's a brilliant
1: introduction.
2: And, and there's two things that I really like. One is that... Um, sometimes I think we, in our walk with God, we're expecting that moment of instant revelation where we get it. Uh, and I love what you said, because I, I think, you know, as we were laughing before we started recording, going through the egg tour all those years ago and wondering myself, well, what is that all about? And then over the years, getting more and more, as you understand, as God adds other things in, and, and, and so it isn't always in the moment, is it? It, it is that, that that little layer of paint that goes on and then you paint it again and eventually you, you, you get that. But also I love something else that's come through as you've talked there, Terry, is that the grace of God has birthed a, a, a devotion, a love for Jesus, a love for God that... Um, wasn't really there it's changed God hasn't changed but your position your perspective on him has changed Uh, and I love what you said about the Dave Mansell thing you you encountered a person who 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 became a lover of God who was a lover of God and, and the infectiousness of that that. Yeah. That's just come through. Uh, people can't see your eyes are bright. <laughs> bright with with love for God. And and isn't it interesting that the very thing, the legalism that we think leads us closer to God, actually leads us just to frustration and disappointment. Yeah. And inward, uh, it pushes us inward, doesn't it, rather yeah. than outwards. whereas the grace of God always pushes us towards him. I, I love that. That's been great.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think it's fascinating what you're saying. I think there are kind of moments of breakthrough, but I think you're right, that it comes layer upon layer, your expression. But I, I remember once I preached in a church in South Africa, and the temperature was like in the 30s, incredible temperature. And I preached in a big tent in Constantia in Cape Town. And at the end, I just preached the grace message, if you like. And a couple came up at the end, and the lady was in a navy blue suit. Everybody else was, people were in shorts and things, you know, it was very hot. She was wearing a navy blue suit and had a hat and gloves on. I mean, she looked like she stepped straight out of some kind of Baptist meeting in England. And and she she came up to me, she said, is what you've just said true? And I said, but I've just argued it, verse on verse on verse. And she said, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember, but... I've never heard that before. And uh, and she, tears pouring down her face. She said, can we just pray? And we prayed. And then I went back a year later, and the same couple came up to me, and she looked so happy. Yeah. And her husband, who's a great big Afrikaans guy, and he said, it's like I've got a new wife. Um. She, she stepped into that freedom. And I remember once when we were... It came, I mean, it's about 19, I mean, I can talk about it, like 1972, I think I began to see this. And uh, as a church, we had been, I gradually, I mean, I I moved there in 68. It was an evangelical free church, non-charismatic. And over four years, took four years, uh, gradually laying hands on people, gradually seeing the meetings loosening up. People were speaking in tongues, prophesying, and all that kind of stuff. By 72, it was a charismatic church. And, uh, you know, we were we were really uh, enjoying the char- char- the charisma, the presence of God. But grace. I, I remember one night, on well, Sunday evening, because we used to meet morning and evening, and I preached on the story um, in Zechariah 3, where it says Joshua. The high, I, I was preaching my way through Ezra. The, the recovery, yes, that was our big thing restoration. And Ezra is about restoring the city and so on. And so when it came to it, it makes reference to um, Zechariah and uh, Haggai. And so I went into those prophets and preached on them and came to Zechariah 3, where Joshua, the high priest, and I talked about the recovery of worship. He's the restored priest and God's restoring worship amongst us. And it, it says, Joshua, the high priest, was there, and Satan was standing there accusing him and saying, look at his filthy robes. And, and, and then God said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. This is a brand plucked from the burning. And he says, give him a clean robe and put a mitre on his head. And it's a terrific passage about grace, really, because the guy is wearing filth and the accuser. This is one of the big things, I think, to overcome the accuser. Um, because so many Christians live with condemnation because they keep listening to the accuser all the time. And uh, that evening, I, I remember I, had, I felt God really helped me to preach here. Uh, you know, the, the accuser, uh, and God said to him, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Um, and I realized Romans 8, it's God who justifies. Uh, if you like Joshua, didn't have a chance to say, oh, but I didn't mean to be. I couldn't help it. I fell over or whatever. Before he can speak, God spoke and said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And then I, I remember saying he put a mitre on his head. And uh, I remember saying, uh, you know, how do you keep these mitres on? You've got to keep your head up. And Satan's great desire is to put your head down. Well, the place erupted. And we, we worshipped and danced until about nine o'clock that night. Um, you know, we had a 6.30 meeting. And the place just went wild. And I think that night, the church got it. And uh, it was a a kind of revelation of this grace of God, that we're declared righteous, that we are righteous because of Jesus. It's a done deal. And I think, so there are moments, like you're saying, Mark, are you you gain some ground, and then I think you gain some more ground, gain some more ground. And I think you have to stand. That's the whole Romans, uh, Ephesians 6. Stand, put on the breastplate of righteousness, Because there's a battle sometimes when Satan comes with his accusations and so on. But I think that was a breakthrough time for the church. And then I think we became a kind of grace-filled community. And it it affects fellowship, doesn't it? Because when you're free yourself, you, you, you can be free towards other people. The problem with legalists is they don't only judge themselves, they judge other people. Yeah. so that pharisaical legalism is constantly accusing one another you you're accused yourself and you and you you're putting pressure on other people and that's uh, what jesus said to the pharisees he says you 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 put one burden after another on them you don't lift one finger to lift the burden off and he said come to me my yoke is easy my burden's light mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's just the whole dawning that this isn't just about if you like, personal justification. It's about the culture of the Christian community, that we are a people, not under condemnation. And so all those Old Testament scriptures like, arise, shine, put on your beautiful garments. Um, And uh, I think as a people, our worship just started taking off because grace captivated us as a people. And I think, you know, and there's been my joy to go around and preach this among the churches and see, you know, more and more churches grasping it and their heads coming up and uh, worship and celebration and and being at home as a child of the king, being able to say father with peace and and knowing he delights in us. All these things have I think been one of the features of New Frontiers over the years now, as we've preached this and made this known and people reading God's lavish grace and stuff. I think it's very much in our genes now. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. I love uh, the various signs you're mentioning of spotting grace in people's lives. So you talked about how David Mansell was just comfortable with God and uh the exuberant worship you guys experienced in writer. And you talked about um that people walk with their heads up, not bow down their accusation. And I guess over many years of going into churches and preaching grace and trying to help people into the freedom of grace, are there other signs of what it looks like when people in a community are, are living in grace that you would want to point to, Terry, as sort of markers of when people have got hold of grace?
1: Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not quite yeah, the question. Are, are there markers we can recognise? Is that what you're saying? Yeah,
0: are there markers you particularly look for in communities or people's lives as to whether they've got hold of?
1: Yeah, I think of I, the very way you phrase the question is is how I see it. People that are comfortable at home, secure, not into externalism, uh, not into criticism. It's one of the features I think of a community that um, they're they're at home with God. They feel accepted by God. And it, it, you can hear it in people's prayers, yeah. and uh, myself. Um, you know, I think when I when I first got saved and, and then came through, started going to church prayer meetings. They were often heavy with guilt. Prayer meetings were heavy with guilt. And I I know when I first started new churches. You know, that was part of our life and world. I I started going to Nigel Ring's home. That's the first place we ever started another church. Other than my home base, it's if you I've always said it's number one new frontiers, it's where we, we started right. a second church, if you like. Yeah, and we went to his home and he gathered, I don't know, 15 or 20 people and wanted to hear about the spirit and uh, being filled with the spirit. We started laying hands on people and so on. And uh, I noticed that when we pray, I took a car full with me, and so I said, Well, let's just pray and worship and then I'll preach. Well, immediately the prayers were. All negative. All we're so sorry we're such sinners and all this kind of stuff, right from the beginning. Yeah. And and that I I thought, wow. And most uh, Nigel was from the Church of England, and most of the people there were uh, you know, confessing their miserable sinners every week. And uh and so I thought, wow, this is heavy stuff. And we were into grace by then. And uh I, I said to the car full of guys, because we went two guys and girls i think i took three or four with me each time and i said to them when we're worshiping don't follow anyone who goes down when we're praying because there was no we didn't have any musical instruments or there was no such thing as a worship leader in those days you just it was very spontaneous and uh, i said don't follow them you know we're going to worship and then i actually said let's sit together and let's let's Go, we're going upwards. We're not going downwards. I mean, it was that specific, and uh, and gradually, gradually, people began to grasp it. And of course, I was preaching. I was there every other week, and and one day, I remember Nigel's wife, Janita, came to me, and she actually said to me, "I've noticed that when we're praying together, you never you never pick up the style that people are praying." And I don't remember if she used the same language as I. But it's like you don't go down with us. She, she had what she had observed it, and I said, "That's right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not owning that." Mm. And and gradually, they they saw the grace of God, and that that um, that meeting became huge. And one day, a couple came to me because it was a Wednesday night meeting. That's what it was at first. And a couple came to me and said, the husband said to me, "I don't know why." I take my wife to church on Sunday and I come here on Wednesday. He said, I go to the free evangelical church on Sunday and my wife gets condemned every Sunday. I bring her here every Wednesday and she comes alive in God. And he said, I'm not going back to that church anymore. I'm going to make this my church. And uh, his wife just got condemned every week. But she was getting freed, and she got, I mean, they both wonderfully freed. And, uh, you know, he later went to the church plant at Cambridge and then at Oxford. I mean, the guys just went with it, for it, with us. But it, for him, it was a life-changing message. And yeah. you could see it happening. You could see, uh, he said, my poor wife, she gets beaten up and condemned every Sunday in church.
2: Hmm. Wow.
1: Yeah. Wow. wow. I think a lot of people, in fact, I, I think, feeling condemned was almost a good measure that's how people and <laughs> it was funny, people say, thank you for your words pastor it was very challenging that was like the best thing you could ever say to a preacher and 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 i'd sometimes preach grace and they're so used to that language i mean this is going back years and, and the people say oh thank you for your word it was very challenging and i say to people it wasn't meant to be challenging <laughs> <laughs> and that was the that was the way you measured things that if it made you feel really bad, it was good. But I think, hey, I mean, we don't want to. I think one of the other things that really helped me was where it says in Titus, and there's a chapter on this in my book, God's Lavish Grace, the grace of God teaches us to say no.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, it's not because some people say you need some law or you're going to sin. But that's not anywhere. it's nowhere in the New Testament. And uh, in the New Testament, Paul says the grace of God teaches us to say no to sin. And uh, that's different to the law saying thou shalt not,
0: yes.
1: to grace teaching my heart yes. to have other choices. So that's the new covenant, puts a new spirit within us, new appetites. And I think there's a whole package of teaching, really, uh, that has to affect the culture, that we're not we're not saying, oh, well, we can sin then. That isn't what we're saying at all. But some people have said grace is very dangerous because what people just run into sin.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, personally, my story would be was brought up in a very middle of the road Anglican church. You know, I said those prayers on a Sunday morning and didn't really understand them probably, and uh, was really kept in uh, Christianity by vibrant youth meetings through my teenage years. But really it was, you need to give your life to Jesus every time. So, you know, I joked that I, I gave my life to Jesus, you know, once a month on the, <laughs> the youth <laughs> event, you know, 20 times I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, and then entering into a New Frontiers Church University, 2003, that would have been in Leeds. And sort of experiencing that, almost that relaxedness with God, where before it was, yeah, the heaviness, now to come in somewhere where people were relaxed and there was joy and you know, worship spilled over. You know, you didn't have to go through the, the penance to, to yeah. get the worship. You just start with worship was, yeah. was dramatic for me and stark. And I think one of the standout things of that time was hearing, I think there'd been a prophetic word given at some point to the movement of New Frontiers about changing the expression of Christianity. Um, yeah, world, and I think the two standout areas would be grace and uh, life in the spirit, freedom of spirit, spiritual gifts. Um, and even in my time in, in as an adult and in New Frontiers churches, you know, 17 years, I've seen a, a marked difference in the wider church in both of those areas sort of an openness to the Holy Spirit now that wasn't even there 17 20 years ago. Um, yeah. And similarly with grace, I wonder, Terry, do you have any observations on how you've seen this message go beyond new frontiers, you know, our family of churches into into the denominations in terms of openness to the Spirit and to the grace of God? Is that something you've observed?
1: Yeah, I think it's, again, it's a very interesting observation. And I think it is true that, um, you know, I I, other people, obviously, we're not the fountain of wisdom, but, you know, people... It, it, I think the other people have come preaching message of grace. I think it's been it's been our experience, it's been our journey. Uh I, and I think we have had a I think when we had things like the Stonely Bible week we got nearly 30,000 people there. Um and I didn't know to we closed uh I didn't know the statistics, but that a third of the people who were present were not new frontiers. Mm-hmm. So that's that's nearly 10,000 people every year uh, in our world um uh, i didn't know that was the the stat till it all finished and we were just kind of looking back over things and people said to me the people who kept the paperwork and most of it mm-hmm. oh no a third of the people there were not new Frontiers. so you're influencing um uh, wider and i think there's a spillover uh i think some of our songs because the stone of the album was huge people loved seeing those songs and so I think, I think we played a part, and the prophecy that we were given uh, those many years back, we were called to change the expression of Christianity around the world. Uh, I think, I think we've, had, we've had that, but I know it was Paul Kane who gave us that prophecy, and I know that he has given that elsewhere as well as to us. And so I don't think New Frontiers uniquely uh, has that role, I think he observed that a new kind of uh, Christianity, if you like, is breaking out. And um, I think of the formalism when I that I was saved into. I mean, it was salvation. It was wonderful. Billy Graham, I was born again. You think, wow, this is wonderful. Uh, and so it was wonderful, but it, it was without grace in the way that we now understand it. And um, I think that now gradually, I think that, that people... I think the grace message is more widely embraced now than it was. I still think we need to nail it. And I'm still, you know, from time to time invited. Will you please come and preach the grace message? So, um, I mean, I found that I I was invited by a guy who lives in Pretoria in South Africa, which is a very Afrikaans situation, which is very uh, legalistic, his whole framework of, of life, that Dutch Afrikaans approach. Would I preach grace? I mean, it's a church of like 5,000 people and I'm preaching uh, several nights in the week uh, to this whole church. And then that resulted in my going to a church in Doha, again, with South African links, again, a church of like 2,000 people and you're preaching it and preaching it. And even John Wimber, when I preached it at the Brighton Centre, when John Wimber first came and you got 5,000 people at the Brighton Centre and Wimber Wimber came to the platform and said, I've never heard anything like it. And then when he came the next year and asked me to speak on the, the next theme on worship or whatever, he said, publicly, he said, I play Terry's tape on Grace in my car all the time. I listen to it again and again and again. And uh, and then, you know, one got invited to preach it. So, of course, John Wimber was affected by it. Now, his impact's vast. So I think I think in God's mercy... We have had um a role of it spilling over. And uh, the enjoying God's grace, what we call the Egg Tour, uh going back those years ago, preached in I think it was 16 different places across the nation. And then God's lavish grace book has gone well. So I think I think there is a spillover, but I you know, other uh, there are other voices out there. I think sometimes, and I know you've not asked me this, but I think sometimes there's a thing I would call it, um, I've heard it called super grace. I don't know if that's a very good word, but there is a, 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 an overstatement that goes beyond scripture, which I think it's a shame because it's it's just, so people uh, uh, would say, um, I've heard things, people say like the Sermon on the Mount is not for Christians. Um it's just that's old kingdom stuff. Now we are into Christ. Therefore, uh, you don't ever have to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses in Jesus' prayer. And, and so you'll find some people uh, would bring an extreme position. I would call this extreme, where a lot of that New Testament teaching is regarded as Old Testament. And uh, we have to get the picture clear. Uh, so I, I just did a little, I'm doing a morning things on YouTube. Uh, uh, Since the lockdown, I was asked, please, would you do, I do a little devotional talk, and I went through the Lord's Prayer at one time. And I I just think that, you know, I I think the Lord's Prayer is quite helpful, that some people say, when you pray, start with confession. That's, you know, that's how some people talk. uh, when, When you come to God, first thing you do is ask for forgiveness, so you start with a clean sheet. And I think that's wrong. I think it's unhelpful. And it's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you come, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Yes. Uh, but if you work through the Lord's Prayer and make it a structure to pray around, you will come to and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. Uh, and I think it's a bit like when um, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and Simon Peter said, oh, you're not washing my feet, Lord, come on. Uh, and the Lord said, no, I must wash your feet. He said, oh, oh, wash me all over. And he said, you don't need to be washed all over. You are clean. That's what he says. You are clean. But I need to wash your feet. And I think that we need to come to, we come to God as those declared righteous. But I do want to keep a, a gentle conscience. I don't want to uh, get blasé and, and get into sin. And so... You know, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us if we've cleansed, if we've sinned. So I think I think it's helpful to remember that. You come to your father because mm-hmm. we've been adopted. We're children. We're accepted. We're delighted in. We come to our father. But we also say, Lord, have I done anything that I need to be forgiven for? And then to follow that through. So I think um, it's important that we don't drift to either extreme legalism or licentiousness. There's two opposites. We go down the middle road uh, in the centre of God's grace.
2: Yeah, very good. That's very good. So when you now look, that's now 50 years nearly, Terry. It'll be 50 years next year of, of, of walking in uh, the grace of God. You've raised a family. You've married. You've raised a family. You've seen your family multiply and, and grow as well. Very much of what we've been trying to do in these podcasts is also try and help people see where grace influences their everyday life. Church is part of our lives, but there's also our everyday lives. What have you observed and what would you say about marriage, raising families, workplace in terms of the grace of God, the influence that that can have on a person?
1: Yeah, I think it does touch all of our lives because it's not just um, a kind of a one color of the rainbow. It, it affects the whole of our Christian awareness. We are beloved, we're accepted, we're delighted in, we are forgiven. And I think when you don't know you're forgiven, you're you're much quicker to give away mercy. And so I think in terms of knowing, you don't hold, you don't hold resentment to people. You don't get bitter towards one another so that's right in our family life so between husband and wife you know it's being forgiving being being accepting you know sometimes we'll have difference of opinion all that kind of stuff and I think it's learning to give away mercy because you've and I think it becomes part it becomes your style that you let people off you don't hold grudges you're not forever going over stuff you you know you know repeating things that happened before that's all forgiven forgotten and i think you you build a culture of of mercy that mercy characterizes your family culture and uh i think it starts between husband and wife and uh, i think the kids knew that we were enjoying grace they understood that but i think also and i've not mentioned this yet um the, the difference between legalism and discipline so I think people think they're the same thing, but they're not. Uh, I think legalism is trying to establish your own righteousness, um, trying to earn, earn God's affection by doing stuff. It's, uh, legalism is like Pharisees trying to impress one another, trying to impress God. But discipline, I don't need, I don't need to impress God because I'm hidden in Jesus, and Jesus has already impressed God. So hallelujah! I get I get the benefits of Jesus impressing God, and so hey, I don't need to impress God. That's all finished. That's done. Thank you, Lord. That's there's no condemnation. I'm accepted, and all that stuff. I love it. Uh, but I want to. I want to grow, and I, and uh, and so you know, if you despise discipline, it says in the Book of Proverbs, if you despise discipline, you despise yourself. It's like I don't take myself seriously. And so, there, there are certain things I do, but no longer, which I would think is how it probably was with me. No longer trying to gain merit from it, no longer doing it to 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 say to Satan, "I'm trying," and no, that's all finished now, Hallelujah. But I I want I don't want to not pray. I don't want to not read my Bible, and so I've got disciplines in my life, and so my kids knew my example was grace and discipline uh, that i am i am disciplined they knew that dad gets up early in the morning to pray they knew they knew there was discipline and in the, and and with them there's discipline we had disciplines you know the way we conduct ourselves over meal times the way we're expected to respect um, uh, you know mum's cooked this meal we're going to be there and so on there are disciplines that are part of our lifestyle and so, yeah, there's love and acceptance, and we love you, and uh, we'll love you unconditionally. Uh, but, you know, if I, if I see you know, my, my little boy being rude to his mum, he's going to answer to me. He's, you know, he's going to be some discipline. But when I, uh, I did discipline my kids, but always after discipline, I would sit and talk to them and say, now why did you have to be disciplined? And I would always finish expressing it physically with love embracing them after discipline telling them every time that i love them and for them i remember once when i was walking down the road with my little girl as my little girl at the time anna now married woman with kids but she said to me one day what comes after spanking daddy because they used to get the wooden spoon and uh and uh i said i don't know what comes after spanking she said hugging and uh, <laughs> she just We're going down the road. She's skipping along next to me, happy as anything. And so, yeah, she knew that. uh, Yeah, she got spanking a few times, but hugging came afterwards. And uh, they never, never questioned that they were loved. and, and, And also an accident. Anyone can have an accident. You could turn over and knock over, you know, an expensive vase or something. Not that we have any, but you could knock something over and I could do that that's a, that's an accident so no one gets you know it's an accident but if you deliberately you know disobey mom or you're like that, that's 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 not right so i've got to train you for life i've got to train you for obedience so that was part of our family culture that we are training you for life we're training you to obey that when you go to school you know how to conduct yourself you're, you know you you're you know how to handle yourself in society and i think a father's role is massive and i think a lot of the tragedy of british society at the moment or western society is fatherless kids and uh, there's no fathering but that mixture of affection lots of physical affection playing with them embracing them talking to them uh uh, and then knowing that that's not on, that's unacceptable. Um, and then if this I remember once when Ben, um, Ben was kicking a football in a place where he shouldn't have done and he kicked the window in of the front door. It was a glass front door, kicked it in with the football. And the first time I knew it had happened, because I was busy in another room, he came into the room I was in carrying the wooden spoon. He'd, <laughs> he'd gone to get it <laughs> and brought the, brought it to me. And said dad I'd just broken the window so he knew what's going to happen uh, because he shouldn't have been kicking a football that is uh, it was against the you know not on so i i I know it's a bit illegal now so it wasn't in my day but uh, i I didn't want them to I wanted them to love my hand I didn't want them ever scared of my hand right. uh, I wanted uh, a a neutral object uh, which was the wooden spoon and so the wooden spoon was the instrument of judgment my hand always expressed love and affection and embrace so would never be scared of my hand but the wooden spoon that meant hey i shouldn't have done that so you know but always love always embrace every, never never failings afterwards to look them in the eye and say why did i have to do that you know why i had to do that and uh, always embracing and then now let's get on. We won't talk about it again. It's done. It's dealt with. On we go. Let's get on with life. So I, I think God helped us to uh, to teach discipline um, and also to pour out affection on them.
0: Yes. If um, you know, our hope for these podcasts is that people are listening in and you know it's wetting their appetites to grow in grace. And I think you, know, you said earlier, Terry, for you. Preaching grace again and again you know, increased its effect in your life and you know, how convinced that you are. Not everyone gets the chance to stand up and preach grace again and again, but what would be the things that you would point people to in order to grow in a knowledge of grace? What would you in- encourage people to uh, to read, to access, to think about, to pray?
1: Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure this sounds very tricky, but... I would encourage people to get God's lavish grace. And uh, I I mean, I think we've covered that. I did a book called Enjoying God's Grace. I think God's lavish grace is more thorough and looks at it from several different angles. And I think from what I understand you're doing, to look at it systematically and to spend some weeks, as it sounds like you're doing, working it through with people, I think it's brilliant. I do commend you. Because I think, you know, I think honestly... To just touch on it one Sunday, if you like, and then go on to the next subject, it doesn't always do the trick. So I, I do commend you for saying, "Let's work at this," and uh, you know, from week, for a few weeks. And I, I would commend that to you. I mean, I think once you've got it in your heart, you can't miss it. In the New Testament, it's everywhere. Uh, all the epistles are full of it, and of course, well, right through the Bible, but particularly in the epistles, grace. Is just there everywhere. And, uh, and once, once, you've, once you've understood it, um, I mean, certain Bible verses, um, people have sometimes not understood. For instance, when Paul says, for, gra- for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore in the freedom. Now, a lot of people would feel that's freedom from sin. But actually, quite literally, in the book of Galatians, where it's found, is freedom from law. That's what it's literally writing about, and so he's saying, "Don't go back into legalism, that, and don't don't go back." That's what. But a lot of Christians would quote a verse like that, and even uh, Galatians two twenty. You know, "I've been crucified with Christ; There's no longer I live, for Christ lives in me." Again, Christians quote that often, often thinking about uh, sin, the world of sin. But actually, you look at the context, of verse nineteen. It's all about relationship with the law, and and. And so, once you're clear on this subject, you'll find it everywhere. But I think people just need to work at it to be clear on it. Once they've got it, then they'll see it everywhere. If they don't grasp it, they'll, okay, yeah. And then they'll just slip back. And I think we need to understand the Bible says the devil, who's the accuser of the brethren, is in the book of Revelation, who accuses us day and night. And I think what I'm learning from that is that Satan's main weapon is accusing. That's what he is. The word Satan means accuser. And so it's not like we're living on a level playing ground. It's not like neutral. The enemy, his main weapon is to tell you how useless you are. And uh, if you keep on getting bombarded in your mind that you're a useless Christian, the temptation is to try and justify yourself. That's what he wants to get you in. If you, if he can get you trying to justify yourself, you missed it. You lost it. And so we just need to learn. Once grace, once we got hold of grace, um, and and I think what you're saying, you know, work at it until you know it. Then, hey, you just you refuse these accusations. You you put up the shield of faith. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You, and you're not so vulnerable because sometimes Christians especially if they've come from a legalistic childhood, always trying to please. Sometimes per- parents can put that on their kids, that you can't, I can never please my dad. You, know, you, you talk to people as a pastor, and uh, you find that back in their heart, there's this kind of, a, I could never do enough to please him. I could never do enough. And Satan gets that. And, and so you get this attitude to God, like, I can't do enough to please him. And Satan is our enemy, and he'll try and undermine and deal. So we need to be strong in grace. So no, it's finished. Jesus paid for that. And uh, and I'm really, you know, stay on that ground. Uh, and I think you've got to fight using biblical weapons. I think people live in their emotions a lot today. Uh, and so if they feel down, I uh, don't feel very good. And I think, now you've got to refuse that and really put on. Paul talks about armor. Put on the armor. And the breastplate is righteousness as a gift. I'm righteous as a gift. And the shield of faith. And, you know, put on the helmet. And and so we don't, and it's all about standing in grace, really. Uh, so otherwise you get pushed off into condemnation. And then you, you the, the answer to condemnation is trying to justify yourself. And you lose the way. You lose the very heart of Christianity, which is that God's done it for us. Yeah. Um, and st- we start being moralists.
0: Yes. we yeah. yeah. Wow. It's really helpful. To have an <laughs> <laughs> so, Terry, that's great, and I mean, we're, we're probably coming up for for the for the finish point. What we what we do as part of the podcast each week is someone finishes by praying for the people who've been listening and being involved. We've not primed you for this at all, but I wonder if you could pray for us that we would stand in grace. Yeah. Um, Surely. Yeah.
1: You. Okay. Father, we thank you so much for your grace to us. We're so grateful, Father, for your love your 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 delight in your church. We thank you so I shall call her my delight is in her. your land shall be called married and lord we we praise you that you delight in your bride, you delight in us. you are absolutely for us. this I know God is for me, and Father, I do pray for the church there at Harrogate. I do pray. In Jesus' name, that you will, Lord, just whisper to every, every man, every woman, every child uh, of your delight in them, your willingness, Jesus, for the joy set before us, before you, Lord, to endure the cross. We thank you. You took away our shame. Yeah. You took away our guilt. Yeah. And, Father, I ask you, please, will you persuade everyone, Lord, of your grace toward them? Lord, take away clouds of condemnation. Take away, Lord, that sense of shame, that they might lift their faces in your holy presence. They may celebrate the wonder of being beloved and delighted in. Father, I ask you, bless them as they go through these teachings. Let the teachings, Lord, be like good seed planted in good soil that grows and produces much fruit. So, bless uh, my dear brothers, Lord, bless the church there. Let it flourish, be glorified. Let many people. Be attracted to the light of these whose heads are up and who are enjoying salvation. Bless them, Father. Let your blessing flow right through that neighbourhood. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this interview with Terry. We hope you've enjoyed listening in, that you are encouraged and stirred by what you've heard. As always, we would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast. Please do leave a review. Let us know what you think. Hey, if you think of a friend who would enjoy or benefit from this, please send it to them. Uh, you can even get in touch with us podcast at hopeharrogate.co.uk we'd love to hear your comments thoughts reflections and responses to what we've been speaking about so far if this is your first time with us please check out the journey so far through ephesians chapter one on your podcast app of choice and we would love for you to join us next week as we get to the phrase for adoption to sonship through jesus christ thanks for joining us and hope to see you soon bye